Well, hey, good morning, Mosaic. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm the interim pastor here at Mosaic. We're so glad that you guys are here today. So the question was, do you ever talk to yourself? Raise your hand, do you ever talk to yourself? The rest of you are lying. <laughs> lying, you're lying. Yeah, so today we're going to be really talking about the voices that are going on in our heads. Uh, the way that we kind of internalize our thoughts, the way that we dialogue with ourselves. Because we all do it. Sometimes we externalize those things. Some of us internalize those things. But what are those? Are they positive? Are they negative? Are they good? Are they bad? Do they pull us forward? Do they hold us back? Uh, so one of, one of the TV shows I used to really like watching was American Idol. Any American Idol X fans? I guess it's not on the... Boo? Okay, okay. <laughs> so what was, for you guys, what's the best part about the TV show American Idol? Simon Cowell. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, what else? I'm li- auditions. Thank you. Someone read my mind and you read it. Uh, the auditions, why? Because you get to laugh at people who have no self-awareness. <laughs> right? You're like, what are you doing up there? Do you have no voice in your head that says, I shouldn't sing? Right? Which is even more fascinating because it's not like that's their first audition either. Because to get to the place where you're actually standing in front of Simon Cowell, you have to probably go through three, four, five, six auditions, and all these producers are kind of smirking and smiling. You're like, oh yeah, you're good, you're good, let's move you on. And you still don't understand that people are laughing at you. Have you ever been in that place? I know I have. When I was in college, I, uh, I, I fell for this trap, and the trap was I watched this documentary, and I believed the documentary, and it was a documentary on how they faked the moon landing, right? And so I became convinced. I was so mad because it was on Fox, and I was too young to realize that network television lies to you sometimes. Like, I didn't realize that, and so I'm like, I'm convinced, and I'm like, we never landed on the moon, and so I'm in college, and I run down to, like, the dorm commons room, and I'm just going crazy. I'm just this raving, just sort of crazy person. Everyone's like, who is the crazy guy in the corner? And I'm just like, we never landed on the moon. And the funny thing was I didn't really know Nicole at the time, my wife, and she was there, and she still married me, so I don't know how that happened. Um, But it was for me in that moment, like, I wish I would have had a little bit more in my brain that was like, maybe you should do a little bit more research about this before you become a raving fool. But what were those moments for you, right? What what were those moments where you kind of uh, didn't have that? Because sometimes the voices that sort of go on in our brains, they can help us. They can filter things, all right? But sometimes, have you ever had a voice in your head that has hindered you or stopped you or been really judgmental? I know I have. Growing up, I was so fearful to do anything publicly. I wouldn't even raise my hand in class because I didn't want all eyes on me when I gave my answers. Uh, So I I typically, even if I knew the answer, I wouldn't raise my hand because I I had so much fear. I hated uh, presentations. Anyone actually like class presentations? Yeah, the crazy people, right? (laughs) Right? I hated it so much. Uh, and so I loved when they do group presentations, because then it, the crazy people would typically get put in my group. And then I was like, okay, you, you just run, I'll do all the research, I'll do all the work, and you just talk the whole time. That was fine with me. Um, but it's because like, I always had this voice in my head that said, uh, no one's going to want to hear what you have to say. No one's going to want to listen to you. Why are you talking? Like It was this voice of insecurity that kept happening in my brain. And, and I think about that often because... Uh, 
when I was in college, I had to take a communication class. And we had to do three speeches in front of this big group of people. And I was so terrified, but I got through the year. And I remember at the end of the year, I thought to myself, I am so happy that I never have to speak in front of a big group of people again for the rest of my life. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's funny how life changes things with you. But I'm even, I, I, I love thinking back on that story because if I would have followed that voice, it would have actually hindered so many things that I've been able to do in my life, including, you know, even right now. Like if I would have listened to that voice, it would have actually held me back to be able to step into the calling that I feel like God was putting in my heart. And so really today, what I want you to get out of it is, what is that voice that's potentially speaking in your head that is holding you back from what God is calling you into? What is that voice? Because for me now, uh, those voices are still there. The one that says, you're not good enough. No one wants to hear what you have to say. But the only difference now between then is now I know that voice is lying to me. Now I know that voice is lying to me. And so today I want us to be able to identify what voices in our life are lying to us and what voices in our life are speaking truth and love and grace over us. And so we find this story uh, into the wilderness, which has a lot to say about this internal dialogue, even for us. And it's the story where Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness And it's a pivotal story in the scriptures because before Jesus does any ministry in his life, he gets baptized and he immediately goes into the wilderness. Before he teaches, before he does miracles, he chooses to spend 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, And so last week we talked a lot about just sort of the parallels to uh, ancient Israel and Moses. And this week what I really want us to focus on because a lot of times... If you've been in church for a long time and you've heard people share this story, it's typically when we read this story, we tell people how to resist temptation. But instead of reading it that way about how to resist temptation, what I want us to realize is that this story isn't about how we resist temptation. It's about how we have not resisted temptation and about how Jesus has and how Jesus has done what we could not do. So with that said, I want us to read the full story together. Uh, Well, I'll read it. You don't have to read it. You can just sit there and listen. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Uh, It's pivotal that we read this, and it's pivotal that we uh, really let that line sink in. That God the Father speaks over Jesus, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Because every single one of those things is about to get challenged. Every single one of those things is about to get questioned in his life. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, God just told him he was his son. If you are the Son of God, there's a challenge, there's a call. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and you worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended to him. See, last week we really focused a lot on that first temptation and how that temptation of food uh, was really tying us back to the ancient Israelite story where they were, uh, where Moses delivered them from slavery into the wilderness and they just complained because they had no food. Uh, and so Jesus, this story is really showing us Uh, Because the author, Matthew, of this story, he's writing to a Jewish audience. So he's trying to show them Jesus is a Jew above all Jews. And for them, in their mind, Moses was the Jew of all Jews. And what he was trying to communicate is Jesus is a new Moses. Uh, But Matthew's a really good writer, and he's also trying to show them that it's even bigger than Jesus being a new Moses. It's even bigger than that. And this story is also supposed to remind us of another story uh, in the Bible. It's supposed to remind us of a story where this sort of thing has happened before. Uh, So if we look at that first temptation, what's another point in the scriptures that we see someone tempted with food where they fail? Uh, So we find that right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in a garden. And I want to just show you just how even uh, like literarily as well, how these two are so parallel to each other. So Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. See, and we see this almost exact same thing happen to Jesus. If we go back to that Matthew passage, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we see the tempter come and tempt someone, right? And then we see that person Uh, use the words of God to combat that temptation. Eve does it, right? Jesus does it. But many of us know how the story of Adam and Eve pan out, as that the temptation ultimately, uh, they can't withstand it anymore, and they step into it. Eve eats of the fruit. Adam eats of the fruit. Um, But Jesus doesn't, right? So in those two stories, where do we find ourselves, right? Where do we find ourselves, we, and I know I do, we, like I find myself a lot more in that Genesis story because Jesus has, uh, has done something that I cannot, that I cannot. But also the reason why we're really, uh, what Matthew's trying to do here is he's trying to show us this parallel, right? Because think about it. So Adam and Eve, they eat of this fruit and then God comes to them and God says, okay, uh, you ate the fruit, you disobeyed. And he cast them out of the garden. 
cast them out of the garden into the wilderness, right? And it says, through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. And that's pivotal, right? Because they go from a garden into the wilderness. Jesus starts his ministry in a wilderness. Where does Jesus end his ministry? Officially, before he's arrested, in a garden, praying. So this journey for us, right? What it tells us is these wilderness journeys for us, they are tests, but they are temporary. God does not call us to stay in the wilderness because Jesus is going into the wilderness, right? To bring us back to the garden. Jesus delivers us from slavery, right? And then finds us in the wilderness and leads us into the promised land. Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land, a land that they said was flowing with milk and honey. Why milk and honey? Because you can't raise cattle in a desert and you can't grow flowers where there is no water. So this land, this garden, right, this promised land. And so what what Matthew is screaming here is it's not only is Jesus a new Moses, Jesus is a new Adam, Uh, The Apostle Paul, he reflected on this moment when he was writing to the Corinthian church. He said, uh, in chapter 15, verse 45, he said, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. Uh, He also reflects on it in Romans chapter 5. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, For if the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. See that through one man, Adam, death reigned. Dust you are. In dust you will return. But through that other, the last Adam, through Jesus, we can go back to the garden. We can experience life again. Uh, We can be justified, like Paul says, which is just simply a legal term that means not guilty. We could be called sinless because of what Jesus has done. Because we have not resisted temptation, but Jesus has. Jesus has resisted that temptation. But that voice in the wilderness is mocking Jesus. And we have to understand that it is mocking Jesus. And we really see this most prevalently in the second temptation. So the second temptation, uh, if we read that in Matthew chapter 3, is the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put to the Lord your God to the test. Can we go back one slide for me real quick? So this is really pivotal because Satan here is actually quoting scripture. And he's actually quoting a scripture about a prophetic future Messiah uh, found in the book of Psalms. Now, if we knew the scriptures as well as the audience that Matthew's writing to did, we would see that 
there's a line that comes after this. That's a pivotal line that he leaves out. So I want us to go to Psalm, uh, let's see, Psalm 91. And I want us to read it uh, in Psalms. And let's see what that last line is that he leaves out. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And that's key because that's specifically the curse that God gives the serpent in Genesis 3. If we read that curse uh, in Genesis 3, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So in this moment, Satan is taunting Jesus because he's saying, you think you're the Messiah, right? You think you're the one who's going to crush my head? You think you're that person? Then throw yourself off this cliff and prove it because that prophecy says that God won't let your foot be struck against the stone, right? And so that voice is mocking Jesus. How often do we have something similar? That voice that mocks us, that voice that seems to taunt us, That voice that seems to call us to less and less and less. And what we realize is, man, is we often follow that voice. But Jesus conquered that voice. And that for us, what voice in our life are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to that voice that consistently calls us to less? Are we going to consistently allow that voice in our life uh, pull us back into the wilderness when Jesus is guiding us towards the garden? What, what are those voices that are going on in your head right now? Because I know for me, it's not always very black and white, is it? Which even when you read these temptations of Jesus, it's not so black and white. It's like, what's the big deal about turning rocks into bread? Jesus does miracles where he makes bread appear and feed people. Like, what, is that a bad thing? Would it be a bad thing if he jumped off and revealed himself as the Messiah? Would that be a bad thing? And so I, I, think, I think we find ourselves in that story as well, where things aren't as black and white. I know for me, about five years ago, my wife and I, we were in the process of adoption, and we were just a waiting family, and we got a phone call from the agency, and the agency said, hey, we got matched with this birth mother. But some of the things that you put that you guys maybe are uncomfortable with, prenatal uh, exposure-wise, you don't totally fall into the category, and we just want to know if you'll make an exception for your profile to be shown to her. And so they said, you have 24 hours to decide, which I'm like, okay, (laughs) like that's a good amount of time. Can I have 40 days to decide? Uh, So we go away, and we're just thinking about it, like, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And for me, like, I just kept coming back to no. It's a no. I wasn't comfortable because, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens? What if he's born this way or what if he's born that way? And so, you know, it was hard to say no, but that's where my brain kept coming back to. And me and Nicole, we got together later that night and I said, okay, where are you at? Because I think it's a no for me. And she was like, what? Are you kidding me? She was like, it was a total obvious yes for me. And I'm like, oh, man, what are we going to do? 
but thankfully, we had sort of decided ahead of time, if it was a yes for either one of us, it was going to be a yes for both of us. Um, and so I said to her, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust your instinct on this one. I'm going to trust your voice on this one. Uh, and she goes, oh, great, you're putting all the pressure on me. Thanks a lot. And so we said yes to our profile get shown. And I was like, maybe we'll profile will get shown and she won't choose us. And then she chose us. And we met her, the, the, the meeting went really well. And so she said, I'm due in two weeks um, for a scheduled C-section. And I was like, wow, okay, life changes fast. Uh, and I'll never forget, three days before the due date came, I was lying in bed, and I kept hearing this voice in my head that was like, don't do it. Don't do it. What if this happens? What if that happens? And I couldn't sleep, and it was driving me crazy because I'm like, what is this voice And then the voice began to subtly lie to me, and it kept saying, uh, this child is meant for a different family. This child is meant for someone else. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I was like, okay, that that can't be something good. So I ignored it, but then the next night it happened again. I'm lying in bed. Don't do it. What if this happens? What if that happens? This child is meant for a different family. And so the next day I was like, okay, i got to test this. So I, I... at breakfast, I talked to Nicole, and I said, how are you feeling? Right? This is happening in two days. How are you feeling right now? And she just smiled, and she had a tear in her eye, and she's like, I couldn't be more excited. And it was in that moment I knew, once again, that voice was lying to me. And I'm so happy that I have uh, Nicole in my life who's so connected to Jesus and so connected to love and compassion, because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have my son today. If it, if it wasn't for her having the courage to say yes to that voice, and I was saying no, uh, then I wouldn't have become a father. And so I just, I want, I tell that story because for me, that story always shows me that there is a battle going on. That there is a battle going on and that there is a voice that lies to you. And we have to understand that, is that there, there are these voices that don't always speak truth over our life. And I'm telling you, any voice that you hear in your head, or any voice that's spoken out loud, that fills you with fear or doubt, that fills you with insecurity or judgment, that voice is lying to you. That voice is lying to you. But for you today, like, what are those voices that you need to stop following? What are those things that you need to say no to, to step into your calling? What are those things that you need to say no to so that Jesus can take your hand and guide you back into the garden? Because what we know is that none of you are perfect. None of us are perfect, right? We have all failed. We have all followed the voice of the heckler, of the liar. But Jesus, right, he guides us. I love what it says in Romans uh, Romans chapter 5, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, right? When we were powerless, when we give into that voice that's lying to us, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. Jesus succeeded where you and I and every man and woman who have ever lived failed. To crush the head 
of the liar so that we can go from being in the wilderness into the garden. Because that's the thing about wilderness journeys is we have to realize is that they are seasonal. They're seasons of testing for us to see, like we talked about last week, what's going on in our heart. But then Jesus guides us back to the garden. And the garden is a relationship. And that garden is, is community with God and each other. And so for giving, like for me, I'm so happy that I have Nicole in my life. Because I have someone that I can, when I, when I have these thoughts in my head that don't seem so black and white, like I can bring clarity. And so that's the thing about wilderness journeys is you don't have to do them alone. Right? When you're confused about is this voice trying to guide me and help me or is this voice trying to hurt me and harm me and keep me going backwards, you need people in your life. Like that is the beauty of the church. Right? The church isn't just you sitting in a seat and getting information that you can go out with. The church is this community, this community where we actually get to pray together. We get to live life together. So that when you feel the Spirit leading you into the wilderness, like it led Jesus into the wilderness, so you feel the Spirit leading you somewhere else, you can test that. You can ask people. You can say, should we do this? Right? Should we go this direction? And people can pray for you. And, and that is the beauty of community. And that's the thing I love about the church. Right? That Jesus isn't just a new Moses. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the last Adam, right? The one who succeeded where we failed. And so for you, what are those voices that you need to submit to Jesus? What are those voices that you need to repent of? What are those areas in your life where you're like, I need to give that up? What are those things that just seem to be judging you and filling you with anxiety and fear? And today what I want to do is I want us to just lay those at the feet of the cross. Because Jesus, his heel might have been bitten on that cross, and the devil thought he won because Jesus died on that cross, but he crushed the head of the serpent when he raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. And he can do that in your life as well. Maybe you feel like your heel is bit by the liar, the deceiver, but Jesus can crush the head of the serpent, of the liar in your life. I know that. I felt it. I've experienced it. And as the voice of Jesus gets louder in your head, in your heart, in your soul, the easier it is to begin to discern what the voice of the liar sounds like. And so as we move towards the well of Jesus together, that well of life, let us follow his voice. The voice that spoke over Jesus at his baptism. You are my son. You are sons and daughters of God. And God can be well pleased with you. Through Jesus, we are justified. We are declared sinless. And so today, let today be the day that we choose to follow that voice. Let right now be the day that we in our hearts and our minds say, that's the voice I'm going to follow. Would you guys close your eyes and bow your heads? And I want to pray together. I want you to where you're at is to self-reflect a little bit. And if you have the courage to ask Jesus one question, it would be, where am I believing a lie right now in my life?
Where do I need to submit to you, Jesus? Jesus, I pray that you will begin to fill our minds with your words. Jesus, I I pray that you will begin to give us discernment so that we can identify the voices that lie to us and that keep us in the wilderness so that we will follow your voice, your voice that leads to life. For you are the well of life. And Jesus, I just pray that you will guide us through the wilderness into a land flowing of milk and honey, into the garden again where we can live in a right relationship with you, where we can live in a right relationship with ourselves. We can live in a right relationship with each other and the world that we live in. Jesus, we thank you so much for achieving what we could not, (laughs) for never following the voice of the liar, but always following the voice of the Spirit, always following the voice of the Father. And so, Jesus, we pray for your Spirit, that same Spirit that descended on you at your baptism to descend on us, that we will hear his voice, that we follow his voice back into the garden. Today we submit all these things to you, Jesus. We, those, we lay those things at your feet, at the cross. And we thank you so much, God. We thank you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.